0: I say first of all just how lovely it is to be here with you and to see your beautiful church it's the first time that Andrew my husband and I have been out here and and it's lovely it's great to be here and to see some familiar faces uh, from the uh, parish weekend a couple of years ago so thank you very much Peter for your invitation and to all of you for your welcome so let's pray <coughs> Lord, take my words and speak to us, we pray, for your holy name's sake. Amen. As I arrived home on Thursday evening after the Ascension Day service at college, I received a message that a faithful member of our village congregation had just died And that the undertakers were in fact on their way. Now her home is very close to ours and so I just popped round uh, to pray with her daughter and to spend a few minutes, as Peter was saying actually, saying goodbye uh, to Betty. She looked so peaceful and I was filled with gratitude for a life well lived. At Easter, we had shared communion together in her living room, and then, being a very organized person, we had sat down and she had told me the hymns that she wanted for her funeral, the readings that she wanted, and a particular uh, poem that she was rather fond of. The faith that had sustained her through her 88 years was now illuminating Her dying, surrounded as she was by family and friends. Even in her own last illness, she was able to go out and visit a bedridden friend. She has become for me something of a picture of what Paul was praying for in that passage Uh, that we had read for us a few moments ago. You might actually find it helpful uh, to have the Ephesians. I'm actually going to be preaching from the Ephesians passage, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15 onwards, if you'd like to have it in front of you. There aren't actually many references to the ascension in Scripture. The alternative ending of Mark simply tells us that the Lord Jesus was taken up to heaven and sat down, at the right hand of God. Other than that, we have two accounts, and they are both written by Luke, the ending of uh, Luke's gospel, which again we've just had uh, read to us, and, uh, and the parallel account at the beginning of Acts. And yet, throughout the New Testament, Christ's ascension is constantly assumed And its importance, its significance uh, to us and to our faith is stressed, not least here in this passage at the beginning of Ephesians. So what I'd like us to do now is to look at what Paul was praying for these Christians and why he saw the fact that Jesus had said goodbye and had left them and had ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, why that was so important for them. And I'm going to be focusing especially on verses 17 to 20. But before I do that, I'd like just to mention in passing two things which we notice from the beginning of this section. What is especially noteworthy to Paul about these Christians is that their faith in Jesus had blossomed into love for one another. I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people. The characteristics that I so admired in Betty, her faith and her caring, are seen here to go hand in hand. The other thing that I'd like to note in passing is what we learn about the way Paul prays First of all, his constancy, I have not stopped. Now, he's exhorted others in various of his letters to pray without ceasing. And if you look at the beginning of almost all his epistles, uh, we're given the impression of his earnest, unwearying prayer For those beloved congregations for which he sees himself to have a responsibility, many of which he has never even met. Um, So that's the first thing that I notice about his prayer. But the second thing is his thankfulness and the way thankfulness really marks his prayer for these people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Now so often Paul writes of praise and intercession going hand in hand and here he's full of thanks for what these believers have attained so far in their faith and their love and now he's about to pray for their ongoing maturity in the gospel and his prayer begins in the context with their relationship with God. He longs for them to know God better. And it's this fellowship with God that's going to lead them into the wisdom and revelation that he so earnestly desires them to know. It seems that, uh, that Paul sees this wisdom as a particular spiritual gift. It's not just something they're going to learn from reading books and from studying, important as that may be, this is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. And according to Paul, it must come first because for him, the gospel was just is just so amazing that the only way they're going to really grasp it, the only way they're going to understand all the good things that God has for them is if the Spirit opens their minds, gives them the gift of wisdom they need to be taught by God himself we need the Holy Spirit to reveal God to us to enable us to know and to see just how amazingly uh, wonderful uh, he is and perhaps as you're sitting here you can allow your mind to think back over your own Christian journey and recognize those times and those places where you've come to a new understanding or a deeper realization of what God, in his great mercy, has done for you. I thought about this myself as I was preparing, and I know that looking back over my life, there's probably no time when I haven't believed in God, when I haven't known God. From the moment I was, I learned to speak, I was taught to pray. But undoubtedly, there have been significant moments along the way when either something I didn't understand became clear to me, or when something I'd not even thought of. Uh, became vitally important for the first time. And we often describe moments like that, don't we, as having our eyes opened. And that's the image that Paul uses in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened. And this is the Spirit's work you remember how Jesus taught his disciples before he said goodbye that the Spirit, he was going to send them the Spirit, and the Spirit would lead them into all truth. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. That's John chapter 14 and verse 26. And then again in John 16, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And it was when I was a student that I understood for the first time what the cross was all about. It's not that I hadn't heard about the cross or that people hadn't explained about forgiveness. But the eyes of my heart were opened in a new way. And I realized that my life could be transformed by the forgiveness that God offered. Now, at the time, I was sharing a house with three others. It was the beginning of the 1970s, and the orange swirly uh, wallpaper is firmly uh, fixed in my memory. As I think back to the evening when I felt I really wanted to share with my housemates what had happened to me. And I remember it now as an evening of grace. The Spirit was revealing to us something more of the depths of God's love, the gift of forgiveness, and the love that flows between us as we share together. So that's what Paul is saying here. He says, if we're to know the depths of what God has for us, we need God's wisdom, we need God's revelation, and that is a gift of the Spirit when the eyes of our hearts are opened, when the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. So what is it that Paul wants the eyes of these Christians' hearts to show them? Well, I think he wants them, it says here, three things. And the first is the hope to which they have been called. Now, Paul doesn't spell out exactly what that hope is. So we have to look elsewhere in the New Testament for the details. But firstly, surely, our foremost calling is to belong to Jesus Christ. As Paul writes at the beginning of Romans, to become God's beloved sons and daughters, We sang, didn't we, just a few minutes ago, that uh, Christ in me, the hope of glory. The fact that Jesus is in us, that we belong to Jesus, that God loves us. Surely that is the hope to which we have been called. But how hard it is to really believe that. I think that of all the things I do in my daily work with ordinands and clergy... Helping to live out of the truth of the fact that they are profoundly loved by God is the hardest thing. Of course, they all believe in their heads that God loves them. God loves everybody. Doesn't God love the whole world? Isn't that why Jesus came? But somehow... It's all too easy to live as if we are the sole glorious exception to God's love for the world. Other callings that we find in the New Testament are to be holy, to know peace in our hearts, to be free. John Stott has said that it's a call to an altogether new life in which we know, love, obey and serve Christ. Enjoy fellowship with him and one another and look beyond our present suffering to the glory which will one day be revealed. This is the hope to which God has called every one of us here this morning. Secondly, Paul prays that they might know the riches of their inheritance It is a bit of an ambiguous statement. Does it mean the inheritance that God receives or the inheritance that God gives? Some people see it in terms of God's people being God's inheritance, much as we read in the Old Testament about God's people being God's possession. But others think it's more likely that Paul means the inheritance that God gives to us. The inheritance that Peter describes in his first letter as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. As God's children, we are God's heirs. We are fellow heirs with with Christ, as we hear in Romans. And of course, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but we can look to the book of Revelation to give us a taste of the glory that is there ahead when we shall see God, when we can, when we shall see Jesus. And the guarantee that we will receive that inheritance is the gift of the Holy Spirit that we can know now in our hearts, the promised Holy Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance that actually comes just before the reading uh now it's back in 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 verse 14 paul wants us to know that glorious inheritance he wants us to know the glory of it he wants us to know the riches of the glory of it so he wants us to know uh we're coming to the third thing the first thing the hope we've been called to the glorious um, inheritance that is ours, and finally, he wants us to know God's incomparably great power. So if God's call has invited us to look back over our lives and to see the things that God has taught us, has revealed to us over our lives... And the promise of God's inheritance takes us forward to the end, the promise that is there to us beyond death, then God's power spans the time in between. It's God's power which is available to you and me right now. Paul is convinced that God's power is sufficient. And in order to make that clear to those he's writing to, he just goes on piling the words to convince us. So in verse 19, we have his great power and his mighty strength. Four different uh, words. And he says, how can we know this? How do we know this great power? Well, it's the power that was seen when Jesus was raised from the dead, and when he ascended on high. That's what the ascension is all about. Jesus has gone ahead. He had to say goodbye in order to go ahead, that the Spirit might come, that we might know the power of God in our lives, to be the men and women God is calling us to be. That same power, Paul says, the same power that that caused Jesus to rise from the dead and that uh, took him to the right hand of God on high is available for you and for me. And we know that because Jesus is above every name. He has been raised above every power. There is no power that is greater than that of the risen Lord Jesus. Now I wonder whether any of you are sitting here And thinking, yeah, right. I can hear talks about the power of God. But I really find it hard to believe that for myself. I find it hard to know that that power is really available to me uh, here now. Well, I find it difficult too sometimes. And so what I'd like to do is to close by telling you of something that happened to me earlier this year. When I really felt as if God opened the eyes of my understanding to see the kind of things that he has on offer, if only we will really trust him. We've got some friends who are very keen skiers and they have an apartment in the French Alps. And for years they've been trying to persuade us as a family to go out and stay with them in exchange for Christmas or Easter uh, and a service um, for the English-speaking congregation there. And this year, we finally agreed to go for New Year and an Epiphany uh, service. Uh, Now, by the time we arrived, our friends had been out there for several weeks, and um, they'd been advertising an Alpha course. Now, I have to tell you that our friend Jane believes she, well, she really lives as if whatever is needful, God will provide. And she had decided that it was right. God was calling her to set up an alpha course for those who were skiing uh, in this place over the summer. And several people had signed up. Uh, but there was one woman who'd said she really wanted to come. But all Jane knew about her was that her name is Lisa and she lives behind the supermarket. Now, at about half past five on the first day of this Alpha course, um, I turned to Jane and I said, well, shall shall we pray about tonight? And she said, yes. She said, but I don't want to pray here. She said, I think we'll go for a walk. We'll pray, we'll go out, we'll pray, and we'll look for Lisa. Well, my heart sank. (laughs) It was dark. The whole place was covered in sheet ice. And um, I stood, I can remember standing there in the supermarket car park, looking round at this, there were lots of apartment blocks behind the supermarket. And I found myself, myself praying, Lord, I'm finding this very difficult. I know that you know where Lisa is. And you know that Jane believes that you can find her for us. Please, honour her faith and increase mine. Now, I admit, I found it very very embarrassing asking people uh, for someone whose name we didn't even know. But as we came, we, we just walked around a corner and a car turned in in front of us. And a French woman got out and she said... You're looking for Lisa. I have never been so amazed in my whole life. I could have fallen over. Jane thought this was perfectly natural. <laughs> we walked into the apartment block behind, behind us and Lisa walked down the stairs. I have to tell you, Lisa was pretty impressed as well. So I think that this particular alpha course has made a big impact on that woman. Because Jesus has left this world because he has ascended to the right hand of the father. The spirit has come and the power of God is available to us. If only we can bring ourselves to pray that God will give that uh, to us, that God will open the eyes of our understanding at all the goodness and the power that he longs to give. So this ascension tide, as we remember Jesus risen, ascended, glorified, let's pray that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, that we might know afresh the hope to which we are called, the riches of the glorious inheritance that is ours, and the incomparably great power which he longs for us to receive and by which he longs for us to live our lives. Amen.